Hello, I'm Paco Alvarez, and this is the backstory from Type Investigations, where we sit down with one of our reporters and ask them to take us behind the scenes of their work. For over a decade, Land and Reporting fellow Melissa Del Bosque has reported on the increasing militarization of the U.S.-Mexico border and the consequences for residents on both sides. In her three most recent investigations for Type and the Intercept, Melissa reported that border agents had detained U.S. citizens returning from abroad, covered the fallout of the murder of two Guatemalan migrants by Texas state troopers, and discovered National Guard troops encroaching on private land as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star Initiative. In this conversation, we discuss how she started reporting on the border, the difficulty of talking to the families of victims when there hasn't been any justice, and why it's important to talk to people on the ground when reporting for a national audience. So my first question, is how did you start reporting on the Texas border and did you initially face any challenges? Well, we'll have to go way back into history. I was living in San Francisco in the late 90s and decided I wanted to be a border reporter because I grew up in San Diego near the border and it was always fascinated by it when I was a kid going back and forth visiting in Mexico, you know, just just as a tourist I didn't have family there. So I got this idea I'd be a border reporter, which wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was kind of a thing around the signing of NAFTA, you know, mid to late 90s, when newspapers were still really robust and had a lot of money and they had border bureaus, actually. So there were people who were actual border journalists at these border bureaus. And um, Texas had the best border coverage because it has the most border. And it was a very competitive newspaper state, you know, lots of newspapers, lots of resources. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to Texas. And uh, I went to journalism school at UT Austin, got a journalism degree, and started doing reporting in El Paso and Juarez as a student. And back then, I was looking at the femicides, which are still going on to this day in Juarez and Chihuahua. And then I got a job at the Monitor, the daily newspaper in McAllen, which is another Texas border city. And that's where I got my start in 2000, pre-9-11, working for the daily newspaper in McAllen. And going back and forth between there and Reynosa and uh, got a lot of experience just on my feet working for a daily and, uh, you know, kind of doing what I wanted to more or less. From there, I went and worked in the Texas legislature for five years. I crossed over to the dark side of politics, <laughs> which was super informative and actually really reinforced my thinking that I needed to go back into journalism and make less money. But <laughs> I had a better education, I think, as to how power worked and how laws work and which I could help put context into the stories that I wanted to do mostly about border communities on both sides of the border, actually. So I started there. So I have been reporting on the border off and on now for about 20 years. How has reporting on the border changed over the years as militarization has increased? Have you noticed any changes in the attitudes of uh, border community residents? Yeah, I mean, there are... Well, you know, the the bottom sort of fell out of newspapers and the traditional sort of way that media could make money off of ads, newspapers could make money off of ads uh, because of the Internet. So now there's 
less coverage, I think, on the ground in communities along the border because the newspapers have been so um, gutted, you know, from a lack of ad revenue, revenue. And at the same time, there's this huge ecosystem now of online outlets. A lot of what I've seen a big explosive growth in is, is right-wing media around, you know, immigration and the border just in like the last four or five years. And really right now, I feel like the right-wing media really controls sort of the narrative and a lot of the reporting that's being done along the border. A lot of your reporting for type is aimed at a more uh, national audience. Uh, How do you go about communicating the changes in daily life at the border to outsiders who might not be familiar with conditions there? I guess the thing that still blows my mind is that border communities are treated as this sort of separate entity from the rest of the United States, you know? I mean, San Diego is a border community, Brownsville, you know, these are, we're talking millions and millions of people, U.S. citizens and residents. It's not this exclusionary zone. It's part of the United States. So I cover it as I would a story I did in Chicago or a story I did in L.A. It's it's any other part of the United States because it's so used in proxy in our national debates over immigration and security, most people lose sight of the fact that these are just communities where people live and go to school and, you know, they have uh, grocery stores, (laughs) they just do normal things. It's not some kind of like desert hellscape, this lawless area or something that it's often portrayed as in political rhetoric or in right-wing coverage or, you know, people use the border for other reasons. So just reporting at it from the perspective of somebody who lives in one of those communities uh, to a national audience uh, makes a difference, I think. And, And it's just strange to me that it doesn't happen to a larger degree, you know, because when national media come in, they usually come in, they do the story and they get out. And they're usually doing it in the context of, you know, Trump said this or Biden said this. So it's really a story about politics and not about those communities. They're just a backdrop. So the border is always a backdrop to something else. So I try to bring it to the forefront. And that is the story. One of your recent stories for Type was a follow-up to a 2015 investigation into the circumstances around two Guatemalan migrants who were killed by a Texas Department of Safety trooper from a helicopter. What initially drew you to the original story? Well, the shooting actually happened in 2012. And at the time, it was just mind-blowing that the Texas State Police decided it would be a great idea to have snipers and helicopters shooting out the tires of moving vehicles at the border in pursuit. And these are vehicles that they don't know who's in them. There's no armed individuals. The idea was that, you know, we'll just shoot out the tires of these cars in pursuit to disable them, which is just like an insanely bad and dangerous idea. So, of course, you know, they ended up shooting at a truck killing two men, almost killing a third. And uh, it being Texas, the legislators, the governor in charge, you know, Republican legislators were like, so 
that's what's going to happen to you if you come across without documents. Uh, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, not not sorry about it, really, which I just thought was so outrageous because not only was it dangerous to anybody in the truck that was being pursued, but also to the entire, all these communities along the border where they were hovering over them in helicopters with, with snipers shooting at vehicles on like busy highways. I mean, the whole thing was just completely, totally nuts. So it took me three years of pursuing the state and, you know, Hidalgo County, which is the border county where the shooting happened, to get the documents, to get the footage from the video from the helicopter of what happened. Because after the incident, the police wouldn't release any documentation. They wouldn't release the video. So they really swept it under the rug just as soon as they possibly could, of course. It took three years to get that information. And so I wasn't able to do the story till 2015. And then I ended up going to Guatemala and interviewing the families who lost their loved ones in the shooting. And what was it like going back to the story for that follow-up? Well, I mean, it was difficult. Originally, I had planned to go down to Guatemala and see the families again, but because of COVID and it's been so bad there, in Guatemala especially, I wasn't able to go in person. And, you know, these are people who are living up in in the Guatemalan highlands and pretty remote areas, so they're not particularly easy to to reach, you know. Uh, With this kind of reporting, you really need to go in person which is what I would have liked to have done, but I couldn't. So I had to do the best I could under the circumstances and talking to, you know, the lawyer representing them, a community leader from that area. So what was particularly painful for me was that there has been no justice and that their case will probably never go to trial. I mean, what the state is doing is they're just winding it out. You know, they're they're wearing them down. So that they'll run out of money, you know, they'll run out of time and it will never go to trial and there will never be justice. So it's it's very difficult to go back to the families and be this person from the United States, the only person that they're really seeing from the United States. And then, you know, even worse from Texas, which is the state that killed their children and saying, you know, would you talk to me again about what happened, you know? Because every time they hear from me, they grow more and more frustrated. Like, well, we we talked to you and nothing happened. Why should we even talk to you? What is the point? So so that's really hard, you know, especially um, when you've been reporting for a long time and you follow a story for a long time where you keep uh, interacting with the families. Like, so so much of the work I do is that there's just no justice. And there won't be. It's hard to 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 come to terms with that, I think, and also to talk with the families about it. Because you have to, I can't overpromise. I have to be honest and say, you know, the best I can do is is tell your story, you know, and uh, do honor to your your children. But in terms of, you know, will there be a settlement? Will there be some acknowledgement of guilt? You know, I don't think there probably will be. So given that you're often reporting in areas with heavy police and military presence, how do you prepare for your reporting trips? Are you ever worried about being detained yourself? 
Well, I have the benefit of being a middle-aged white lady. <laughs> so I really use that to my advantage. I mean, I'm continuously underestimated and I'm very low-key and I, I prefer it that way. You know, I don't raise any flags. So, I mean, I do a lot of research in advance. I, I talk to people in those communities. I don't just show up, you know, I uh, take the temperature of the place and, uh, and, you know, I'm genuinely interested and curious about all sides, you know, so I approach it in a sort of open manner. Um, you know, I'm curious about people. I want to know even militia members, you know, like what, what are you up to? Why are you here? You know, and, and people, you know, if you approach them with an open mind, they'll talk to you often. So I just, I just try to be low key. (laughs) So this past fall, you started a biweekly newsletter with Todd Miller called the border chronicles, uh, where you provide original reporting and analysis of news about the U S Mexico border. Um, how does your reporting process for the newsletter differ from your reporting process for longer investigations? I mean, it doesn't really differ in a, in a way. It's a continuation of, of what I did for many years at the Texas Observer, where I was doing, you know, weekly, weekly stories on top of longer investigations and then shorter pieces online. I mean, this is something that most journalists have to do now, where we have to be thinking short term, long term all the time. And uh, I'm, I'm so I'm doing I'm doing the uh, the newsletter with Todd Miller, who is really like my Arizona counterpart. He and I are about the same age. We've both been writing about the border for about 20 years. He in Arizona and and I in Texas. So it's a great combination of experience, I think. And uh, and we're both pretty well versed in doing the the short term story and the long term story. So. I'm working on something I'm going to publish next week, but then I'm also working on things I'm going to publish uh, in the future as well, longer, longer pieces. And so my last question is, do you have any advice for reporters who are interested in doing more investigative journalism around the U.S.-Mexico border and its militarization? Yeah, I mean, my biggest advice is always just go to those communities, you know, with an open mind and, and talk to people on the ground. And, and pretty soon, I think you're going to have a much more complex understanding. And, and so often, just the story that you thought you were going to tell changes once you get there and you spend some time there. Try to carve out some time for yourself because it's hard when you're coming in, you know, from the East Coast or wherever. A lot of times you only have like two days or something. Uh, try to try to take longer if you can. Because it takes a little bit of time, you know, at least try to do three or four days if you can. If you look at most national coverage of the border, it's very different from the way communities actually are. Like I said, you know, these are people who are just going on about their lives. There's a lot of great uh, grassroots organizations. You know, there's a lot of, of good people who are doing really great work along the border who are really receptive to, to talking to people. And uh, any reporters out there who are interested in writing on the border, uh, encourage them to email me and I'd be happy to give them uh, some contacts uh, to, you know, in whatever city that they're heading to, uh, if that helps. And yeah, just, you know, have fun. 
You can read Melissa's most recent investigations at The Intercept or the Type Investigations website. Check our show notes for links to more of Melissa's work. A transcript of this backstory is available at typeinvestigations.org backstory.